Welcome to CruxCast. Whether you're in your car, at work, or at home, we hope you enjoy this interview. And if you do, you can find more like it on cruxinvestor.com. So please subscribe. So Macango is a dual listed company listed on the TSXV and, and AIM. We are developing a rare earth project in Malawi, a separation plant in Poland, and then we have an investment in a recycling business based in the UK. So mining, refining, and recycling. Brilliant. How are you, Will? Long time no speak. I'm very well, thanks, Matthew. Yeah, it has been a while. Yeah, I think we spoke uh, actually about up in London face to face. That seems a novelty these days. Um, October 2019, when things were a little bit quieter in the rare earth space, uh, but I think slightly buoyed by political tensions around mineral security and and rare earth prices not you know, helping as well. So, um, what, so what? So what's the, in fact? Do you know what would be great? Why don't you kind of lay out the the business plan for people? Because it's been a while. You know, what did you guys set out to do? Because I noticed you put a, put a few things together since we last spoke, uh, and that might kind of set the scene and allow us to have a more useful conversation. Sure. So, so we, um, you know, Macango, we listed in January two thousand eleven uh, on TSXV, and. We'd secured a rare earth project in Malawi. Malawi has long been known as a rare earth mineral province. I mean, the Japanese government were completing exploration there in the late 80s, together with the Malawi Geological Survey. And at that time, a project called Songwe uh, was drilled. And there's about 2,000 meters drilled to about 50 meters, so barely scratched the surface. So we had been operating in Malawi um, uh, in, in um, you know, in the t- 2011, 2010, and 2009. And uh, at that time, um, we had been focused on various commodities, but rare earths um, really started to come of interest. We were in Malawi, right place, right time. We reviewed this project and we saw there's a huge amount of upside. So really that, that was the start of Makango. Uh, we listed on TSXV with support of um, Canadian um, investors and UK investors. And we completed a large amount of drilling, um, a resource in 2012, pre-feasibility study in 2015. And then we had a strategic partner, Talaxis, who came in. We listed in London, and that really moved us to the next level um, in that we completed another major drilling program. And, and I think in completing that pre-feasibility study, um, we saw there are opportunities to improve the project. So we completed a lot of work on the processing flow sheet. We expanded the resource substantially. We proved up a measured resource. And um, then we began to see there was an opportunity um, downstream and, and really with the objective of increasing marketing flexibility and and also adding value to the product and and that really started a um, started us on a journey looking at potential sites for a separation plant so we looked at the uk we looked at um, other sites in the eu other jurisdictions and um and as a result we recently signed a lease option agreement on a site next to a major chemicals plant in, in Poland, owned by Grupa Azoti Polave. 
second largest producer of nitrogen fertilizers in the EU and major major chemicals company in Poland. So that really is the mining and the refining. In parallel with that, we um, we started working with a group called Hypromag. Um, you know, our, our our belief is that you know, as, as a as a resources company, and going forward, um, you know, there should be a recycling element to to the business. I mean, rather than just you know digging it out of the ground, refining it, selling it, and then ultimately that product or that that uh, at end of life that product, that rare earth magnet ending up in landfill, um, you know, we should be looking at recycling that, that material. And, and I, I, you know, I feel that I think that in the mining sector generally, that's going to become a major part of, of groups' business plans. So, I mean, you sit in the PGM industry, 25% of PGM production is recycled and, you know, in the rare earth sector is less than 5%. So recycling um, is a very core part of our our strategy and i think those three elements the mining refining and recycling and all the synergies between those those businesses really sets us apart from from the peer group and um to my knowledge there's no one else doing it really outside china well there are there are there are a few people because we've had them on the show um it's, it's a question of you know how do you insert yourself in into the various ecosystems which are which are building up there. I mean, you guys um, for a long period, it was rare earth was not flavor of the month. We've seen this sort of complicated, difficult investment because of the volatility of the of pricing around rare earths. Um, can you talk to me about why you think you need to do this kind of end to end solution? Because the mining bit is 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 hard enough, but you've you've kind of got a, a processing pilot uh, plant which you've actually. Um, uh, been been using well. What, tell us a little bit of where, where you're at with that. Yeah. So so in terms of um, the project in Malawi, um, as I say, we we already completed a pre feasibility study, and that um, uh, you know with with rare earths, um, it's um, a lot of the value add is in is in the processing. So the the mine the mining side of things is. You know, is straightforward. I mean, for example, we use a we use a contract miner. Um, so you've got to have the geology in place. You've got to have the resource, um, which which we have. Um, the processing side of things is really where you add value. And um, you know, many rare earth projects, most rare earth projects, need a bespoke processing flow sheet. So it, it does take time to develop that. Um, that's why there are so few advanced stage rare earth projects. Um, so we looked at the pre-feasibility study and um, we saw an opportunity to increase recoveries and grade in the flotation flow sheet. We saw an opportunity in the hydrometallurgy to make the, make the process more efficient. Um, and, and so we, we spent a lot of time um, focused on that. And the culmination of that is the flotation pilot plant we've recently um, undertook, which is very successful, and the hydrometallurgy piloting that we're doing at the moment. And you know what it what it comes down to is really in the pre-feasibility study, um, Songwei, you know, the mineralogy is very well understood. I mean, we've had three PhDs on, on this project already, a lot of work, a lot of work working with sort of Campbell School of Mines, um, looking at this, uh, looking at the project. So it's it's, it's very well understood. And um, 
there's two, two rare earth minerals. Most of the rare earths are in one mineral called citrazite, conventional mineral. Um, it's a fluorocarbon mineral, so similar to what um, is being mined at uh, Mountain Pass in the US. Um, the other mineral, apatite, holds, um, uh, contains a small amount of rare earths. Um, in the pre-feasibility um, study, our strategy was to um, process and leach both of those minerals to maximize recovery. But then we went back and we looked at it and to get the, the last 5% of those rare earths in the appetite, you need a lot more acid um, and you need to um, a lower pH, which means more impurities into solution, which means more complexity for the, for the purification. Now what we're doing, we're focusing on processing one mineral so you can selectively process it. It contains 95% of the rare earths. It makes things a lot more, more straightforward um, and, and will unlock a lot of value. So we developed the flotation flow sheet to focus on that one particular mineral. I mean, we've achieved grades of um, you know, 30% or more but there's a trade-off between recovery and, and concentrate grade. So the recoveries we achieved, we not only increased the concentrate grade, flotation concentrate, we also increased the um, recoveries as well from 67 to 74%. So again, big improvement in flotation recoveries. What that means is um, we, the, the bigger resource underpins doubling of the production rate, doubling of the um um, the, the mill, the, the all going into the mill. Um, but the higher concentrate grade um, means that we'll actually be, even with doubling the mill throughput, we'll be putting less tons of higher grade material um, containing more rare earths into the sort of hydrometallurgy and the leaching circuit, which means a much more efficient circuit. Um, and that'll let offset um, the increase in capex from the bigger mill, lower capex with the hydrometallurgy plant. So it's probably, sorry, it's quite a long-winded explanation of what, what we spent a lot of time doing, but um, it's, it's certainly been worthwhile. See, most of the people that we speak to in the rare earth side of things, they, they, they sort of attribute all the skills um, necessary to actually do um, processing and separation to China. They've had you know, 40 years of it, not, not many people with the relevant experience or skills outside yeah. of China who, who've done that. And that puts them off. So they don't bother. They just accept that at some point they're going to go into the Chinese um, ecosystem um, for, for, for one reason or another. And that may affect their ability to make margin. You've decided, no, I think we can do this. We're going to have a go. And it's going to be economical. It's going to be economic yeah. for us to do so. Um, what, what, what lent you to believe that you would be able to crack the code, as it were? So, so we went through um, an extended process to, to, to see, because there's no, there's no point in going downstream into separation unless you can compete with China and you, compete, can, you can compete with the existing separation capacity that's out there. So our key objective in, in looking at a strategy to go to go downstream to separation is to identify um, uh, the, the, the best site from an operating cost perspective. Um, and, um, you know, if we hadn't been successful in doing that, we, we may well have had a different strategy. 
However, um, we believe we've found a very competitive site um, and um, from an operating cost perspective, and that's for a number of reasons. First of all, um, you know, the infrastructure is there. There's a railway line, there's a road network, you know, we're in the EU, so, um, you know, it's, it's very well developed. Poland is sort of at the centre of battery development. Um, the whole, bat, you know, whole part of Poland is going through, um, going through a, you know, green transition as well. Um, you're seeing battery manufacturers locating there. Johnson Matthey just announced they're, they're building a um, plant there using, using renewables. So, so there's an opportunity to be part of that transition. Um, but the infrastructure is very good. We, we have the rail and the road. There's a power network. There uh, is a railway line on site. The technology we're using um, generally has lower operating costs than, um, than the other sort of tech, conventional technology, which is a chloride technology. So this uses nitric acid. Um, and basically it uses nitric acid, ammonia, and there's an ammonium nitrate byproduct, which is, which is basically a fertilizer, hence working with a fertilizer company. So what I like about this, this technology, it's not only um, it's not a lower cost, um, it all, it's also more circular as well. So you have nitric acid and ammonia going in, and the sort of nitrogen that comes out comes out as ammonium nitrate, which goes back into the system. So there is, a, there is some circularity there. Also, with the chloride technology, a greater proportion of the costs are in um, hydrochloric acid and caustic soda, which um, you, would, you would need to buy from a, a third-party producer um, who may be, um, and uh, those, those reagents use a lot of energy, a lot of stable power. They need stable power, and they need a lot of it to produce it. If, um, and you're not in control of, of that, that energy source. So with a nitric acid route, um, a greater proportion of the cost is energy, and we will have much greater control of, of how we, you know, what we can do, how we can supply that energy. For example, we look at solar as part of the uh, development. So really the, the cost position comes down to the, the, the infrastructure, um, fantastic uh, and, and uh, infrastructure in the region and, and the technology. So this nitric acid technology, um, we are working, it's a conventional technology, it's proven. Um, there, um, you know, there were a couple of, and there's a separation plant in uh, La Rochelle owned by Solvay, which used to run that process. Um, there's another nitric acid um, technology plant uh, uh, run by Silmet. Um, so it is a proven conventional technology. We are working with a group called Carister who have, um, I'd say probably there's probably no one else outside China um, with the sort of breadth of experience they have with separation technologies covering not only um, the chloride route, um, but also nitric acid route. So they were the team running the La Rochelle um, separation plant for, uh, for Solvay. And, and um, they've got, you know, experience running uh, separation plants at industrial scale. And um, there's very few, few um, groups out there like that. Um, we've also 
um, for the last few years. Um, our sort of chief technical advisor, Mike Vasey, he was with Linus Corporation for 15 years. So he was um, uh, VP Research and Development with Linus Corporation. Again, you know, one of the, well, the only integrated, major integrated rare earths um, company outside China. So I think we've got a great team um, and we're working closely with Carousel, not only on the feasibility studies which are underway, but also they'll be working with us during um, construction and scale-up production as well. Right, okay. So you, I'm going to park recycling to one side, if, if I may, because it's you know, the, well, the other side of the line. With regards to the resource, I see that you know, between 2011 and 2019, you, you, you significantly increased the resource, which is all good news. Um, you have, um, you know, you're, the pilot um, phase is underway here, and you're going to be able to talk to us more about the economics as you understand the, the recoveries and the concentrate side of things. But you're using, what I notice is you're using a lot of partners. Now, that seems to be the model you're employing. Bring in the people with the relevant skill sets um, to help you deliver. Lovely. But at some point, you're also going to have to come up with some capital to build these things. The, the processing component is not going to be cheap. So, you know, is, can we expect to see more of the same in terms of partnering with named companies, not just technically, but in terms of the you know shared cost of building this this thing out? Yes, and and I think you know we've. You know, as Makango, we've always, um, you know, been focused on developing partners, partnerships in the sector. Um, and, you know, we see that as a very good well, good way of, of um, you know, progressing the projects. So, you know, I think we have Talaxis who, who in, invested in, in the project in, in Malawi um, and they, they, invested 12 million pounds for a 49% interest. Um, we, subsequent to that transaction, we've obviously very recently announced the um, separation plant in Poland. And, you know, we're seeing a lot of strategic interest um, in, you know, the package as a whole um, and individually and in the recycling as well. So um, I think there's, uh, we are looking at ways we can unlock the value. And, you know, we, we're discussing with our existing partners and new partners as um, in terms of how we move the project to the next level. Um, in terms of CapEx, you know, in, in Malawi, this is a, a modest CapEx project. And I think that's always been, um, you know, a focus for even before we, announced the pre-feasibility study, the number we always had in mind um, was uh, around 200 million capex. Um, for the size of the market, um, you know, rare earths is not a huge market at the moment. I mean, it's got, it's clearly, it's got very significant growth potential, electric vehicles, wind power, but it's a fairly small market. So you do not want to be going out with a capex number of 500, a billion, a billion dollars. So modest scale capex, we've always been targeting a modest scale capex number, and and keeping operating costs as, as as low as possible. And you know we're still targeting a modest scale capex number and around two hundred and fifty million for double the throughput, 
um, is what is what we're targeting. Now, clearly, it's subject to the feasibility studies that are ongoing. Senate, the lead engineer, are, are doing that work at the moment in South Africa. Um, but that's the sort of number we're looking at. Um, and and then, but with with opportunities to you know expand downstream as well. Right, and with uh, Telaxis, are they going to like follow their money? They're, they're sitting with forty nine percent of uh, Songwe at the moment. Um, there will be further equity required. Will they continue to invest? So, so the the, uh, the structure of the transaction with Telaxis is on completion of the feasibility study. They have an option to invest that equity and and arrange the project finance. So. Say you know the capex says two hundred and fifty million, and you have a sixty forty debt equity split. Um, then that equity, whatever that is, forty million, hundred million, hundred million plus, would need to go in as equity to to exercise that option. So clearly, that incentivizes us um, to um, to ensure that we have an extremely competitive feasibility study. So they would then. If they do do that, they'll have seventy five percent of the project, but you've got free carry on the on the Correct. remaining twenty five percent. Okay, so so that's good. So we park that up. So you just need to deliver it technically in terms of the result and, and the feasibility study. Um, with regards to, they've also taken a twenty four and a half percent interest in the recycling uh, component. Is, is there, what, what what are the terms there? The terms are they they have a twenty twenty four and a half percent interest. Um, there's no um, there's no option there to increase their interest. So you know we and and Maganito is is really we set that up to look at these downstream opportunities, um, and really that has has become the focus there has become on the recycling, um, and it's it's a very interesting um, I say opportunity Maganito because not only does it have the interest in Hypermag, um, has the 25% interest interest to go higher to 49%. It also has carve-out of offtake rights from Songwe. So it has access to primary offtake from Songwe. And it also has offtake rights from Hypermag as well for recycled material. And we have the right to supply primary material to Hypermag for blending. So again, as I mentioned before, it's we are in a unique position because no one else really has the ability to to market and sell both primary and secondary recycled rare earths, and um, so we're in a, a unique position outside China. We have the IP to do the recycling with hydrogen, and no one else has that 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 IP. So and that really unlocks the supply chain. Um, and you know that product can go into a whole range of different different markets. Okay, so what you're saying at the moment, with again with the mining and the processing um, component, you can sit entirely outside of the Chinese ecosystem. You don't need any skill sets, don't need any money, and you're not selling into the Chinese market. Is that what you're saying? That's correct. Yeah. So, so in Telaxis, will take care of the marketing, will they? In terms of product. So, in terms of the. Um, in terms of the that option, so Telaxis, if if Telaxis exercises that option to go to seventy five percent, then Telaxis is entitled to that offtake, subject to 
any offtake that Maganito um, carves out for downstream developments. Right. Okay. So you're deliberately choosing to start with a lower capex project because, you, well, it's difficult to get the expensive, the larger capex funded in the in this current market. But the market, as you said, the demand is is absolutely there. Coming out of EV, or you've mentioned wind turbines as well, um, you're comfortable with the ability to kind of sell into high demand market. I, I think really our, our strategy is. As I mentioned before, modest scale is not a huge market at the moment. Um, so, you know, we're starting off fairly modest scale and the same, same applies with the uh, recycling as well. Um, and then to grow with the market, but it's also marketing flexibility. Um, the further downstream you go, the more marketing flexibility you have. So, um, you know, producing just a mixed rare earth carbonate, your, your, um, your you know your flexibility is, fa is fairly limited. Um, you know, with with the separation plant, we would um, be in a position to produce uh, separated NDPR oxide, neodymium oxide, praseodymium oxide. We would also produce a uh, around fifty tons a year of uh, dysprosium and terbium heavy rare earths in a mixed rare earth carbonate and SEGH carbonate. Um, that also sort of differentiates the company. Um, Songwei is, is quite unusual versus other carbonatites in that it, it contains greater proportions of heavy rare earths than, than you would normally find in a carbonatite. Um, it's not a heavy rare earth deposit. It's a light rare earth deposit, but it has a very, it's a sort of sweetener of heavy rare earths, which actually constitute quite a, you know, significant part of the value. It's probably around 20% of the value. Um, it's also highly strategic. Um, and so we though, uh, we'll produce that, 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 um, that product and we're looking at options as to what we can do with that heavy rare earth carbonate outside China as well. Um, so there can be some very interesting opportunities that come out of that and you know, may enable us to um, go even further downstream in, in, into heavy rare earths. On the recycling, um, run by a fantastic team who have run businesses before in the rare earth sector, in industry, um, long track record in magnetic materials. Um, the strategy there is um, we'll be producing samples for customers this year. Um, we've had a lot of interest with, with some of the publicity we've been getting and, um, you know, the profile of the company is, is really growing. And I think certainly people are beginning to realize that, that you, know, you, you know, recycling is going to play a very, very significant role as a complementing the mining sector. It's not, it's not going to replace it. I think it's going to complement it. So, We've had a lot of interest from, um, you know, uh, end, end users who are looking to, you know, increase their recycled um, proportion of their, their components. Um, and um, so we'll produce samples this year. And then next year, we're looking to um, scale up to around 30 tonnes a year of neodymium and boron magnetic material products. Some of that would be sintered magnets and some of that would be 
a variety of other different different products. So, so just on, okay, I, I agree with you on, on the recycling. It's, it's going to become more and more important, but you're, you're going to have to, one, demonstrate your ability on, on the recovery side of things, um, but two, also get the feedstock in, uh, you know, at, at prices which make sense for you. Um, and you're, you, I think you're aligning yourself to the European ecosystem here. So where's all this feedstock coming from? When do you have to have, start having those conversations? And, you know, there is competition. Yeah, I think you're using a hydrometallurgical process, but there's the parametallurgical um, uh, process as well, which is you know, reasonably well established. And how do you compete in a, what's going to be a very busy market in Europe? Yeah, so, so what's um, extremely advantageous um, about this, this process is if you have a rare earth magnet embedded in a component, um, you know, how do you get that out? Obviously it's, it's magnetic. Um, uh, you, could, um, you could use heat. And I think you mentioned the pyrometallurgical process to do that. But clearly if you're using heat to, um, to demagnetize something and try and extract that magnet, you still have to physically get the magnet out. You may use heat to demagnetize it, but you're also putting in a lot of energy to do that. And, um, you know, so, you know, do you really, you know, if, you, if you're, you know, if you're a, um, if you're trying to minimize your energy input, do you really want to be roasting, um, you know, roasting that, that component, that magnet to, to, to demagnetize it? Um, you know, hydrogen is, um, it's a, it's a, it's a very interesting, the hydrogen technology is very interesting and it, it, it is an established, you know, established technology in magnet making. So, um, you know, I think the pa for paper first published on this was in, in the eighties by, um, uh, Rex, Professor Rex Harris from Birmingham University, who's, who's one of the founding directors of Hypermag. So it was first published in, in Birmingham using hydrogen and magnet in generally in magnet making. Now it's used everywhere um, in China, everywhere. Um, so um, it was never that aspect was never um, patented. What what um, Birmingham University and the team there, the IP that they have is is using and the know how um, is using hydrogen to extract the um, extract the, uh, um, the rare earth magnet. Um, so it's that sort of hydrogen decrepitation process and the demagnetization forming a powder that enables, um, enables the uh, magnet to be extracted. Um, so that's really, um, that, that's really where um, it's, a, it's a major opportunity. And I see it, it really unlocks the whole supply chain for, for, for recycling because it enables you to get the magnet out of the component and demagnetize it into a form where you can either remake a magnet or you can, um, you know, you can produce a bonded magnet or some other rare earth powder. You can process the raw powder. If it's not suitable for short loop magnet recycling, you can chemically process it. Um, so but where's the scale come from? That's what I'm asking. It's like, where, where's the feed start come from? When do you start to yeah. understand your ability around economics and so forth? Well, we've, we've, I mean, the starting point is, um, you know, we've been starting point is electronic waste and hard disk drives, um, uh, you know, speakers. So the, the starting point has been those sort of components um, that, 
you know, are segregated in any case as part of the recycling process. And, you know, we're working, um, Hypermag are working with um, uh, uh, recycling companies as part of these grant-funded projects. So, so that's initially, that, that's the sort of waste that, that's, that's coming. But we're also um, starting to see um, uh, sort of end-of-life wind turbine uh, magnets um, coming available. Um, and so we, we're getting, um, we're starting to see that as an opportunity because those first generation of wind turbines, um, that, that material is starting to come available. So, um, that is something we're, we're looking at very closely. Um, and in the future, um, you know, as the EV sort of revolution really takes off, cause you know, it's, it's really just starting, um, and, as that take, as that takes off, you know we, I, you know I think that'll be a source. That's a longer term source. So whether it's the ancillary motors or the or the drive motors, um, clearly it's a, a sort of a big big sort of growth area. I mean we're we're already Hypermag already partnered in a uh, sort of grant funded project with Bentley Motors, um, part of, obviously part of VW Group. Um, so there is there is interest in in that sector in in this technology um, because it's 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 going to be can become part of the industrial ecosystem recycling. So uh, it's also going to become very very competitive. But you know, there, need, there, there are new entrants coming in. Um, they need to establish their technologies and, and, the, and, the, and, the, and the processes and flow sheets that they use. But everyone in the in the chain is going to want to take their piece. You know, at the at the moment, I suspect automotive companies are, you know, they just want to be able to do it for marketing terms. They want to be able to say they're recycling. But at some point, they're going to start charging for their feed through to, um, you know, some intermediary who's then going to take their cut and feed onto companies like yourself who are then going to have to work at, you know, where the margin, you know, how much margin they're willing to yeah. give away in terms of their competitor competitive tendering process so it'll be it'll become it it will become uh i guess difficult to make money if there's lots of entrants so how do you how do you i'm saying how do you insert yourself with long-term contracts and you know how do you get scale to this thing well i think in terms of of new entrants as i say no one has access to um you know the, the, the technology is licensed from university of birmingham it's a patented technology and you know the team at Hypermag has the know-how to for the post-processing as well. So, um, so I think. Um, but that's your, that's, 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 a, that's yeah. the technology that, that you've got. But, you know, we've, we've had people like Neo Metals, an Australian company, who was like listing a name later this year. You've got a hydromet process too. So the, the, the technology itself is not necessarily entirely proprietary but so it's it comes down to being able to get contracts being able to no it, make it is it, it is is the hydrogen the use of hydrogen for for process and this is as opposed to you know dissolving everything in acid or heating it up and extracting the mag- magnet the the um the magnet that way um you know the use of hydrogen for extracting magnets from end-of-life components is patented, um, and so Hypermag has has license has an exclusive license for that technology. The difference is, the you know for for the hydrogen process and and that process, the energy 
impact. I think it's 88% less energy um, used to recycle, um, you know, for, for, for making those those end-of-life magnets. Than those, what? Those recycled magnets. 88% less than Than what? a conventional process to yeah. go from mining, processing, um, metal gotcha. making, alloy making, magnets. Yeah. Gotcha. So, and, and anything, you know, that's the... And then if you're using chemicals, um, clearly, you're, or heat, you're going to use more energy, more reagents to do that. So I, the way I see it is, and, you know, so I don't, I don't think, um, um, I think what, what Hypermag and that technology does, it really unlocks the supply chain um, and enables, um, you know, uh, low energy um, uh, liberation of that magnet. Now, what happens to that, that powder, what Hypermag are focused on is the short-loop magnet recycling. You remake a, remake a magnet, 88% less energy. I think what other groups are looking at, um, you know, the chemical processing is they take that material and they're chemically processing it. But it's still just having the chemical process doesn't necessarily, it doesn't address the issue of how to get the magnet out. Okay. So, and that's what it does. Yeah, unlocks it. Right. Okay. Again, so like I said, we've we've had people like, like I'm going to reference neo metals again, just but you know they they've got a flow sheet which um, they've you know they've, they've, and they've partnered up with uh, automotive companies in Europe to extract you know rare earths and battery metals etc. And to some extent, you know, your whatever technology they're using or you're you're using doesn't really matter to the automotive companies. They just need to be able to say it, it's green, it's efficient, and, um, you know, assuming people, everyone along the chain wants to make, take a little slice of, of the upside there, that the economics are there um, for everyone in, the, in that food chain. So at some point it comes down, it comes down to marketing um, and the story that you're telling because your technology needs to sound better to their customers, automotive customers, than the next guys. So pyrometallurgy yeah. may suffer somewhat in comparison to you, but there will be other technologies which are as green. They may not be quite as efficient, or maybe they are, but you're going to need to help them tell that story to make sure that you know, you're know you front of the line versus the next guy. Otherwise, it is a very competitive environment, isn't it? Yeah, I, I, I would argue that this... This would be the greenest technology to extract a magnet from a embedded in a component. I, I think, you know, it is, and and it's it's all it's it's a it's a technology that's that's used in magnet making, but it's the application of that technology to recycling um, is where the IP and know how sits. So I think, I think Hypermag would certainly commit c- compete on on the the sort of energy, um, the carbon impact and the energy uses. Right. Usage. So now, now what you guys are going to, you and your partner are going to need to do is is find that feed stock, you know, the quantity, the volume to deliver yep. the scale and consistently and, you know, you know, who knows what happens to margin along the way, but let, let's assume it's a competitive environment and, you, you know, you are front of the line. How do you get those contracts signed up? You know, so you, you're, you're testing this with people at the moment? But you've got, yeah, well, you've we're, got we're we're in part. You know, we are um, we are in partnership um, with um, you know various you know recycling groups and users, Bentley Motors, Unipart, um, and and as part of um, 
the SUSMAG Pro project, which is a very, um, very large EU funded project, which this technology effectively underpins. There's a number of partners within that consortium, um, potential end users. So I think the strategy at the moment is, um, is really, as I say, samples to customers to demonstrate um, that you know, this is a magnet that, that can be used. Um, it's a recycled magnet. Um, as I say, we have had a lot of interest in that. And then it's scaling up the production process. So we are getting a huge amount of support from, from the UK government on a, on a number of projects, Innovate UK. Um, and University of Birmingham has also received a, um, a lot of funding to um, install this recycling equipment. Um, and that, that'll go into Ties the Energy Park just outside Birmingham. Um, and that'll be where the technology is scaled up. Um, you know, Hypermag with, with the know-how will manage that process. So it's really a question of getting the product product out there and starting um, starting at a fairly modest scale. But I think growing with the market, and um, you know, we're seeking to accelerate that growth as much as possible. And if we can do it quicker, and if the market's there, which we believe it will be, then then we'll do it. Okay. Do you? Th- I mean, timing's everything. Do you think if you look back at the uh, Songway deal with Telaxis. I mean, you, you're going to walk away with 25%, but 25% free carry. Um, they seem to have taken the, they, they seem to have taken a lot of the upside there. Was that just a question of timing in the marketplace, or do you think there's um, scope to kind of maybe look at other projects as well outside of the Malawi project? You know, for the sake of your shareholders, for the sake of you know Makango shareholders. I think um, that look that was um, you know we signed that um, we announced that transaction in November 2017, um, and look you know it was fantastic fantastic transaction for for the company, um, and it enabled us to accelerate and and really complete the detailed work that's required for a rare earth project with a um, you know a very supportive partner. So it was certainly, you know, the right, the right sort of um, the right transaction. And, um, you know, in terms of other, other projects, I mean, we, um, you know, we have extensive exploration portfolio in Malawi. Um, there is, there's actually a lot of interest in Malawi in the mining sector at the moment. And, and that's really apart from rare earths, um, you know, there's a recent rutile discovery, um, and, and Sovereign Metals has recently announced a very large rutile resource in in Malawi, um, and we have the license immediately to the west of of that project of that license, and we've you know we're in an earlier stage, um, and you know I said we barely scratched the surface. Um, there's more work to do on it. We're, we're processing the results. We have found rutile. And I think that that could be very interesting um, for the company and, and very interesting for Malawi, actually, um, because there's infrastructure there and there's a lot of interest, um, I think, um, and a lot of benefit that could come out of that opportunity in, in, and those opportunities in Malawi. It's a district scale sort of opportunity. So that's exploration in Malawi. 
Um, you know, we also, um, in terms of um, separation plants, phase one for that plant, we, you know, at the moment we're looking at just processing material from Songwe, um, and that'll be a purified mixed rare earth carbonate. Um, you know, in the future, we may look at processing third-party carbonate, um, and um, there may be opportunities to participate in other rare earth projects um, to secure that material. But initially, we're just starting um, at sort of phase one scale, 2,000 tonnes per year NDPR oxide. But if we were to expand that plant, um, it would, um, it's extremely cost competitive at the moment, that cost position would, would improve even further. So that's an opportunity, but we yeah. don't want to take on any, anyone else's development risk to secure that product. So we would be looking for um, stable sources of, of mixed rare earth carbonate to underpin that. And also you don't want to be, um, you know, producing at such a scale that there isn't a market for it. Okay, um, that's interesting. And our, and, our, and our strategy is to, um, you, you know, uh, market as much as possible into Europe. But, you know, we're also looking at Asia and we're also very closely looking at the US as well. I mean, we took on a, a US strategy advisor just recently to assist with that strategy. Great. That's really interesting. So you're thinking where your future lies is a little bit more downstream. You're not necessarily going to go and take development risk whether it be outside of Songwe in Malawi, not necessarily, but you think that the plant is perhaps where the, the, the future is, and of course, recycling, if you can you know, insert yourself into the marketplace I think there. If we, if, yeah, if there was a, a situation with another rare earth project we, where we could you know, leverage the experience that we've built up over the last 10 years, then I think we... You know, we'd, we'd, we'd take a look at it. I mean, you know, we're geologists at heart, so, you know, it's always interesting to look at new projects and um, rare earth sector is, you know, is a sector we've been focused on. So, yeah, we would, would certainly look at new projects, but, you know, in reality, it would need to be better or there need to be synergies with, with what we're doing at the moment. Is that, is that because you're slightly scarred by the, the again, come back to time? You've been through quite a difficult time in... in in rare earths and getting funding in place, getting anyone to pay any attention, quite frankly. Um, do you think there's a little bit of scarring from there or is it genuinely you've recognised that sort of downstream is where the margin could be made if, if, you, if you can nail this technology? I think the mining side, it underpins everything. I think building a separation plant on its own without the mine, you know, underpinned by mine, I don't think, you know, that that's not something we'd look at. So it, it comes together. So, you know, and I think, um, you know, in the rare earth sector, it's seen, um, and we've, you know, we've been through a down cycle, so we, we know what happens. And, um, you, know, we, we, you know, we've seen what happens to rare earth prices at the bottom of the cycle. And, um, and you know, we can see the potential as well. Um, it, it's more a question of, you know, to get involved, um, you know, in an early stage project, um, unless if it was very similar to what what we're seeing at Songwe, then we could certainly leverage some of the expertise um, and know how that we've built up over the last ten years. Because I mean, every 
every rare earth project is slightly different. Every, every, you know, as far as I can see, everyone requires slightly different sort of flow sheet. Um, so there are certainly, and, you know, we've, we've developed, as I say, we've had three PhDs, huge amount of work has gone into, into the project, understanding the geology um, of this type of deposit. And, and bearing in mind that um, a lot of other rare earth projects that are in production um, or, or maybe go into production, they tend to sort of feature, or they may feature a sort of thick weathered, sort of very weathered cap, and, um, and which requires certain type of processing. Um, and then you go into primary fresh mineralization, um, which would require a different processing flow sheet, most likely. Now, what we're looking at at Songway is because most of the weather material has all been eroded away, what you're left with is that fresh material. So um, we have you know, built up a lot of experience in, in, in the processing and geology of that type of, that type of ore body. Um, and what it also means is what we see, you know, close to the surface is what you see at three, 300 meters, 350 meters. So that's, you know, it implies a lot of exploration upside um, to depth. And laterally, we, you know, during one of the research projects that we we're looking on, we identified a really interesting looking um, geophysical target to the east. So we're hoping to incorporate, you know, maybe some targeting of that during our geotechnical drilling if if we can um if we can do that brilliant okay look well and um, thanks thanks for the catch up and the run through it's been interesting to see how you're coming at it and obviously how the the, the project is evolving um like stay in touch and look keep, keep us up to date when um when there's when there's news we'd love to hear from you so i uh, appreciate your time Great. today. thanks matthew much appreciate it good to talk thank you for listening if you've enjoyed the interview why not subscribe to cruxcast or our website, cruxinvestor.com, and of course our YouTube channel, Crux Investor. Plus you can catch us most days on Twitter and LinkedIn. We really love getting your feedback, so please keep it coming, and we'll speak to you again soon.